The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Hi, and welcome to Caught Between Generations. You know, I believe we're in the midst of what appears to be a growing number of adult children who are actually choosing to become estranged from their parents. I'm going to read you an actual letter written by a 23-year-old daughter to her mother, and it reads... Mom, I've decided that I don't want to have any contact with you ever again. Please don't write or call me anymore. I can't stop thinking about all the ways that you were never there for me when I was growing up. Whenever I see or talk to you, I just end up feeling depressed, angry, and upset for weeks afterwards. It's just not worth it to me, and I need to get on with my life. Please respect my wishes and don't contact me ever again. I mean, when I read that letter, I thought as a mother, if I had read that letter, I would just be devastated. I don't know how I would go on. And yet this mother shared, she was desolate, and she shared this letter with Dr. Joshua Coleman, who is an expert in working with estranged families, and he's joining us today on Caught Between Generations. Dr. Coleman is a psychologist who is in private practice and is co-chair of the Council on Contemporary Families. He has been a frequent guest on the Today show and NPR and his advice has appeared in the New York Times, the Times of London, Psychology Today and many others. Welcome to the show Dr. Coleman. Thanks for having me. How common is estrangement within families? I mean I have this sense that it's a growing problem. Is 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 that accurate? Well, I think it is. You know, we don't have any reliable statistics. I don't know anybody's really tracking it, but I, I, I trace it to the rise of individualism in, in our culture, and I think that began in the 60s. We began to be much more focused on, on the rights of individuals, and uh, parents began to be very worried about being overly authoritarian with their children, uh, and then proceeding into the present, be, became much more educated about potential harm that, that parents can do to children, um, and be, parents became much more worried as a result result of the internet in the mid-90s about all the potential ways that um, children can be hurt um, in a variety of ways so that the home has become much more intense, anxious, guilt-ridden for parents, and there's a much greater worry that parents have that they're going to do something wrong. And what this has done is it has really increased the voice of the child. We care much more about what children think and feel 
And in many ways, that's been a great boon to long-term parent-adult-child relationships. But the dark side is that it also gives the child a much bigger, um, you know, stick to hit back with the parent if they feel in some ways that, that the parent hasn't done a good job for whatever reason. So it's interesting. I was going to ask you this question later on, but since you brought this up, let me ask you now, because it does seem to me to be uh, have a reversal of power and control, um, right. starting when children are very young. I mean, I was sitting in a in a fast food restaurant, and I watched a, what appeared to me to be a three year old at literally hit his parent. All right. I mean, that would not have been my child and that child still would have lived, not literally, but you know. But but I mean this this parent laughed it off and went, Oh, honey, you know, you really shouldn't be hitting mom because it really hurts. And I'm thinking to myself, Really? You must yeah. be kidding me. So I mean, do you see that reversal of of power and control now? Oh yeah, there's no absolutely no no question about that. It used to be the child's job to earn the parents' love and respect, and now it's the child's job to uh, now it's the parents' job to earn the parents' love and respect. We used to have the view prior to the 1900s that children were essentially resilient, and that the stresses and strain of life would actually make them stronger. It would build character. It would you know make them um, be more you know healthy and resilient. And now today's parents are deeply worried about their children. We see children today as intensely vulnerable. So uh, we're also worried that our children, because of divorce, uh, we're sort of worried that our children won't be there for us because relationships in general seem much more tenuous than than they once did. Um, and the, the great anxiety that parents have about overusing authority makes many parents wrongly overly empathic and overly sympathetic and, and overly caretaking around things where just a very simple, straightforward limit would be much better. So do you see more situations with the child cutting out the parent, or do you see some situation where it's the opposite, where the parent is basically estranging themselves purposely from the child? Well, I certainly see that, but primarily what I see is the adult child estranging themselves from the parent. Now, for a certain percentage of adult children, they would say that, um, and, I, and I would agree that for a percent, they would agree that the parent's not willing to make the relationship something that they feel is a reasonable relationship to have. So they might not you know, accept their sexuality or their career choices or their lifestyle and that they you know, continue to act in a very rejecting, critical, hostile way from the child's standpoint you know, it is the the their parents estranging themselves from them by by continuing to be so so rejecting. But but most more much more typically, the parent wants to have a relationship with the adult child. Is actually willing to do the work, and the adult child, for a variety of reasons, um, isn't willing to or isn't able to psychologically. So do you see a difference in these estrangements uh, that are reflected in gender? So, for instance, it occurs more between same-sex parents and child, so mothers and daughters and fathers and sons, or the gender doesn't seem to make a difference? Well, in general, we see post-divorce that the mother-daughter dyad is the strongest. After that, the father-son dyad um, and the cross-gender dyads are typically uh, the most vulnerable. 
Um, but what I see in, in general is that divorce itself seems to be the biggest predictor of estrangement. And there's a number of different reasons for that. One is that divorce at any age, it can be a great divorce. It can be parents divorcing in their 60s or 70s. But divorce can set up the situation where one parent can poison the child or children against the other parent. The child may independently, even if the parents do a reasonable job of not vilifying the other, the child may independently view one parent as you know, the good guy and the bad guy, the parents repartnering with somebody else, new boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, um, maybe people that the child doesn't like or get along with or that these people don't particularly like or get along with the child. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, in a highly individualistic culture like ours, it causes the child to see the parent more as an individual with relative strengths and weaknesses and less as a family unit that they're a part of. So what else causes these rifts between parents and children where in families where there was not a divorce? Well, so certainly a certain percentage come from just, you know, from parents that were abusive or, you know, hostile or deeply rejecting. I would say in my clinical practice, I don't think that that constitutes the majority. Um, so it's often, it can be when the, when the adult child marries the the um, a troubled son-in-law or daughter-in-law may be a cause or it just may be that the parent doesn't like the son-in-law or daughter-in-law and voices that complaint and then the adult child as a show of loyalty to their spouse um, pushes back sometimes the arrival of a child can cause that um, often it's interesting that because the parenting environment has gotten much more intense and close and in many ways positively intimate a certain percentage of adult children push hard um, towards estrangement because they don't know any other way of feeling separate from the parent. They feel too enmeshed. You know, if parents prior to the 1960s made mistakes, I think it was to be too detached and uninvolved. Whereas parents since that time, I think if they're going to make a mistake, it tw- it's towards being too enmeshed. So a certain percentage of adult children are pushing back, they're estranging themselves, they're angry at their parents and not particularly for any good reason objectively, but it's the only way they know for there to be a boundary. That's a common one. It could be mental illness on the part of the child. It could be mental illness on the part of the parent. Um, as I said earlier, uh, certainly an ex, one's ex-husband or wife can be a very powerful reason. Um, so um, those are probably the most common things that I see. So the thing, that I guess, that I see most common or that I hear about is you know, power struggles and fighting over the most common issue that there's fights in families, and that has to do with money. Um, And so an adult child is demanding uh, money, demanding financial support, you know, just making demands uh, on parents. And then when parents finally get exhausted and they say, I can't do this anymore, then then it seems to me that the adult child just says, fine, I'll have nothing to do with you anymore. I mean, is that how you see it happening? Not exactly. I mean, I think for a kid to get to that point, there were probably other issues going on well before that. I mean, it may be that the child, well, first of all, it's it's sort of a different era. I mean, for most of us, you know, our children are young. I mean, I have young adult children. I have twins who are um, mid-20s and a daughter who's 35. And so, you know, they're they're kind of occupying a world with much less financial security. Um, you know, from the, my my twins who are in their mid twenties, you know, finding a job that pays really well is actually. 
quite hard. So the need for more parental support is realistically much higher than it was um, in certainly in my my generation, and I assume you're probably a similar generation. So um, so it's tricky territory because many parents. Uh, today, you know, particularly boomer parents on up, uh, probably didn't get very much support from their parents. I mean, I certainly didn't. So there's a part that can, it can be easy for the parent to feel like, well, I don't want to reinforce your dependence um, in, in ways where they're not really being sufficiently empathic to the genuine disparity in the situation um, that both occupy um, in, in time. That You know, that when I was, I moved to the Bay Area when I was 21, immediately got, you know, a decent paying job. I got an apartment for $300, you know, mm-hmm. a, a month. Uh, one of my twins um, was going to school, got a, an apartment in downtown, like the worst area. It was $1,500 a month for a walk-in, um, you know, for a studio a- apartment. Um, so their financial needs are greater. Um, but part of the issue is that that there's this big promise that I think so many adult children feel where these, the parents have been so caretaking, so psychological, so intimate, so involved, so interested, so concerned, so empathic, which when it goes well, it goes fabulously. Um, but it can cause the child in some ways to have, you know, maybe not such realistic expectations that at some point that well does dry up. And at some point the, the parent can reasonably feel like, well, I feel like I've actually given you a lot, so I'm not willing you know, able to give you more. And the problem is that most families don't know to have those conversations in a way that's sort of productive and not shaming. And that's, that is where a lot of conflict can come. You know, I guess I see also that, um, especially with uh, problems in the we- in recent years, mm-hmm. that parents' financial situations have actually changed, mm-hmm. right. um, and they may not have the money that um, they right. had before, um, and there's a reluctance to admit to an adult child, well, you know, my, my retirement is not where I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, and I've lost a lot of money in investments, so, you know, yeah. that I think has its impact also. Right, and the adult child may not really know that you know what the what the parent's real situation is, and they may look at the parent who may live in a reasonable house in a reasonable neighborhood and think, well, you know, you can't. How bad can it be? And maybe you're just you know manipulating me, and that can certainly be a, a cause for conflict. When we return, we're going to be um, talking to Dr. Coleman about the impact of these types of rifts with children uh, on a marriage, uh, even if it's adult children. And we'll also be talking to him about what, as parents, we can do to help resolve these conflicts. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that 
is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. We are surrounded by crises, domestic violence, mental health issues, rape, suicide. Often, we feel alone if we are dealing with these issues ourselves, or we feel powerless to help others who are dealing with them. You don't have to feel alone. Listen for The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope with Jessica Pirro. The show is an open forum to share and get advice from others and guest experts and begin or continue the healing process. Listen live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We have the honor of talking to Dr. Joshua Coleman today, who's a psychologist who's in private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area um, and has done a lot of writing and a lot of talking about estranged families. So, Dr. Coleman, before the break, I was about to ask you a question about the impact on a marriage when you have estranged children. Mm-hmm. Well, um you know, it's not uncommon in heterosexual marriages for for the genders to manage the pain of that very differently. You know, if they're particularly if they're both, you know, if they're the biological parents, if these are parents who've never gotten divorced, um, women more typically. Obviously, there's there's great degrees of variation, but in general, women more typically want to decompress from the stress by talking about it and sharing their feelings and. Getting support from their their partners, men more typically want to de-stress by not talking about about it. Men are in general are better compartmentalizers. Uh, women it seems like in general are are worse at that. Um, it, in my experience, men tend to give up more quickly. They they tend to get more angry and feel like you know forget that kid if they if they can't reach out or take our apologies or you know, acknowledge the good things that we've done, then I'm through with them and I'm cutting them out of the will. Um, whereas moms are much more likely to have a hard time with that, to feel like they, they should always keep trying and, um, and, that, and that to even stop thinking about the estranged child, which sometimes is really the absolutely right, healthiest thing to do, that that can make them feel like they're a neglectful and bad mother. So that's a, it's a very important theme. So, but how do you resolve that? Because I think that's exactly, I mean, what happens mm-hmm. is that fathers are saying it's enough. We're not going to allow this to continue to happen anymore. And the mother's like, no, this is my child. How can I do this? And then the parents end up fighting. I mean, I know right. couples that have actually divorced over this issue. That's yeah. how That's how bad it gets. Well, I think both people, as, as, as in any crisis or ongoing crisis, 
in a in a marriage, couples have to be each have to be sensitive to the other person's psychology. So, if you're you know the kind of person who really manages your stress and pain by not talking about it and sort of compartmentalizing and going underground, your partner has to be sensitive to the fact that you're not going to be able to talk about it as much as you like. On the other hand, you are going to have to talk about it enough with your partner that they feel supported and cared about. So I recommend for couples, if they have that difference, is that they talk about it maybe every night or three times a week, but for a very limited basis. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, if it's the wife who has the primary feelings of pain and suffering, that the husband's going to sit and listen empathically for 10 minutes, and she can say or cry or do whatever she wants. And at the end of that, that's the end of the, of the conversation. The issue, though, about whether to keep trying is um, something that I talk a lot about in the, the webinars that I do and in my, my, my individual therapy with, with parents because it's a hugely important question. I mean, in general, I don't think that parents should keep trying to reach out to the adult child if they're getting restraining orders sent to them, which some of the parents that I work with have, or they're having the police called, or every time they try to reach out to the child, uh, the child just gets more and more enraged. Generally, that means things are too inflamed, and they should just drop the reins for at least a year. This is with kids who are adults. I wouldn't give that advice for kids who are minors. Um, but for other kids where there may be some evidence that, that you know, trying, writing letters, and we can talk about the various things that parents can do, um, um, I think that the parent who is suffering more should get to dictate how long they keep trying, assuming that there's no longer, assuming that there's A, some evidence, or B, that that some that that not an insufficient period of time has has passed. I don't think the parents are obligated to try for years and years. I think typically, you know, a year or two of diligent trying is is a good thing to do. Um, so so that's those are just some general frames of how to think about it. What happens when grandchildren are involved and suddenly the adult child says you can't have any more contact with your grandchild? Well, that is a nightmare for for grandparents. I work with families where they were dedicated grandparents, where they saw the grandkids, took care of them three to five times a week, or maybe they even lived with the grandparent, and then something happened. There was some issue with the, their child or the person that they're married to, and then all of a sudden, very suddenly, they're cast out of that, not only their adult child's life, which is traumatic enough, but the grandchild's life as well, which is a trauma to the grandchild. If you're a, a grandchild and you've been having your grandparent be involved in your life and you're deeply attached to them and all of a sudden for what from your perspective is no good reason. I mean, assuming that the grandparent isn't molesting the child or beating them or doing something else to endanger them, um, it's not going to feel like a net gain to the child. It's going to feel like a net loss. So it's damaging to the grandchild, grandchild and it's damaging to the grandparent. So how do you respond to that? I mean, is there a way you can respond to that 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 basically says, I understand, you know, you don't want to have a relationship with me, but I don't think the children, the grandchildren should be included in this? Well, I I never recommend using shoulds because we have to to use the language of today's egalitarian relationships. You know, marriages are egalitarian Mm. in general, and so is the relationships between parents and adult children. So I wouldn't... So so what I mean by that is it all all centers around personal choice and the right to make uh, those decisions. So the child's not going to be motivated by your saying that you shouldn't do this. They're going to... They might be motivated by your saying that you... Well, so, so... 
what should a parent do? Let's start there because that'll give it more context. In general, I think parents, because typically by the time an adult child does that, um, there's been issues in the, the relationship that maybe the parent is causing, maybe the adult child is causing. I don't assume either party is innocent when I start working with the party. I also don't assume either party is guilty, but sometimes the parents more has to change more and sometimes the adult child does. But either way, the, the, the parent does not have the power. The adult child does. The adult child, if, a, if the adult child doesn't want to have a relationship with a parent, there's nothing that compels them to do that beyond their feelings of affection or interest or care or concern or empathy for the parent. So those, those are the terms that the relationship has to be negotiated upon. So I always recommend the parents start by from empathy, from trying to understand what the child's feelings are, from listening for the kernel of truth in the child's complaints, by not trying to remind them what a great parent you were, because that's not what is at the front of their mind right now. What's at the front of their mind is whatever their gripe is about you or how you're treating them or the person that they're married to or their parenting. I mean, you know, even as a grandparent, they may have a reasonable or unreasonable claim about that. But you have to start with where they are and show empathy and interest and a desire to to acknowledge that. And so similarly, if a kid cuts off the grandparent, they, I would recommend that they start first with trying to rebuild the relationship with their child because that is the gate through which the relationship of the grandchildren are going to ha- is going to happen. So what are your suggestions for that? I mean, how do you help resolve this problem and conflicts with your adult child? Well, the, the steps that I just outlined are the main ones that, that I recommend, that you, um, you I, I recommend that parents do write an amends letter. I just did a webinar on that this, uh, this Tuesday, last past Tuesday, where you make a heartfelt apology for the things that, that are bothering your child, that you acknowledge that they wouldn't do what they're doing unless they felt like it was the healthiest thing for them to do. In other words, you have to get inside your child's skin, and even if you don't agree with the reason that they're estranging themselves, you have to try to understand that. And I think the principle of separate realities is key here, and that is the idea that, you know, you can be a reasonable, dedicated parent and still miss something really important about your child. And so your child can later complain about something that you're doing or not doing or didn't do that that they wish that you had, and and have it be a reasonable thing. So not getting caught up in the right and the wrong is hugely important and really being kind of diligent about um, your efforts to reconcile, to take responsibility, to show yourself as a reasonable person to communicate with. That that can often be very powerful in opening the door and rebuilding a bridge. And and how often do you do that? So let's say you write the amends letter and, and yeah. you truly take the child's perspective and and I understand you thought that I wasn't there for you and 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 the child still is rejecting you. I mean, how long do you keep doing this? So I wouldn't say I thought that you, that you thought I wasn't there for you. I'd say I'm sorry for the ways that I wasn't there for you because you want to put it into the child's language and and the amends letters are going to be very very closely examined not only by your child but by their therapist i mean part of the wedges between parents and adult children today is how many adult children are in therapy and talking about their parents behavior with the therapist and the therapist is weighing in often in the direction of of um encouraging estrangement so in terms of how often you should try i think parents should write at least one you know, strong amends letter, um, and then maybe a follow-up of that within six weeks, um, and then perhaps, you know, write 
brief chatty kind of things, just trying to connect maybe every three weeks or something. For a few years, for a couple of years or so, your main goal is to just so, show that you're interested and dedicated and working towards resolution. Um, so I, I typically think parents should at least try for a few years before giving up. Dr. Coleman, we have got to have you back. You have, <laughs> you do, you have lots of really great information. And I love tips, you know, that where you say, you know, you don't use this word, you know, right. you have to use this language. It's very, very helpful. So well, you tell know us. The psychologist that all hinges on one word. So. <laughs> <laughs> Makes all the difference in the world. Right. So <laughs> tell us about uh, your webinars that you're referencing and your blogs and uh, how we can access information from you. Sure, sure, sure. So I do a, a, a newsletter that's free for, for estranged parents that you can sign up for at my website, which is www.drjoshuacoleman.com. That's drjoshuacoleman.com. If you just put in your email address in, I won't, I won't sell it or anything, and you'll get you know, typically around four emails that have advice around estrangement. I do a free Q&A uh, every Monday um, for an hour from 11.30 to 12.30 Pacific, and then I do a Tuesday night webinar series uh, at 5.30 Pacific. That's an hour on uh, specific topics, like last week was on how to write an amends letter. This next week is about um, handling disrespect and abuse. Uh, and that's an ongoing series that I typically offer in, you know, seven or eight at a time. Um, so those and, are, we would, and we would access that through your website. Yes, that's right. Is yes. that correct? Okay. That's right, yeah. That, yeah. Okay, that's that's great. And we will post that. So okay, um, it, if it went too quick, just talk to us one more time. It's www. Yeah, www.drjoshuacoleman.com. It's D-R-J-O-S-H-U-A-C-O-L-E-M-A-N.com. Or you can email me at josh at drjoshuacoleman.com. It's J-O-S-H at D-R. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Dr. Coleman, thank you again so much. We really do appreciate this. Thanks so much. It was great being on. When we return, uh, Mark Cycle will be joining us as we continue our discussion about estrangement. We'll be discussing steps to letting go of resentment and ways to find peace when you're cut off from a family member. Stay tuned. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner. And nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? 
This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And we've been discussing issues, a rising issue, actually, of estrangement uh, between parents and adult children. And unfortunately, sometimes that also includes grandchildren. Joining us is Mark Seichel, who is a psychotherapist. He is the author of the book, Healing from Family Rifts, and conducts workshops on healing, especially for severely dysfunctional families. So welcome to Caught Between Generations, Mark. Thank you. So at the beginning of the show, I read a letter um, um, from a daughter telling her mother that she never, ever wanted to hear from her again. I mean, how do you get over uh, and live with these kinds of shocks that your adult children are now going to be estranged from you? Um, It's not easy to get over. It takes time. Sometimes an estrangement can be healed. Um, but what this daughter could do if she wanted is to take steps like try to um, create shared events uh, steps that don't involve talking about feelings steps that are actions that could bring the family together Uh, actions such as birthday cards Christmas cards, gifts whatever um, this woman feels is correct. And when you've done everything that you know is correct and you've done all the right things, then you can walk away feeling good about yourself because you've done everything and anything that you can do. So you bring up the issue of, it's interesting, of special events. So... I mean, how do you, when you're estranged from your children, your adult children, I mean, how do you handle um, going to events like weddings or a 70th birthday party or a special wedding anniversary? I mean, I, I just see that as extremely difficult. What are your suggestions for handling that? Well, again, a person has to know that they've done everything they can to heal the, the relationship and that they've done all the right things. Uh, special events, large family gatherings, are bound to be painful. Uh, a person should expect that they will be painful and console, them, console themselves with the fact that they have tried to heal the rifts. Um, but it can become a um, mixed occasion uh, of celebration and mourning for the parent whose child, adult child is not there. And uh, 
it can be very embarrassing. Uh, and hopefully people don't ask in, inappropriate questions. But the answer to the question of why your child isn't here is um, we're, we are currently estranged. Wow, but that it, must be really difficult. It's really difficult, but actually most people don't ask. Most people realize something is wrong and have the courtesy and compassion to not ask that question. You know, it's interesting you talk about that as a parent. You, you know, you want, you, you want to get them to the point where they feel as though they've done everything they can. But I, I think it's hard. I think parents, especially, let me be prejudiced, but I think especially mothers, um, tend to blame ourselves um, and go over and over and over again about what we could have done differently. What should I have done differently? What should I have said differently? I mean, I, mean, I, I think it's hard to get past that, that, that self-blame. It's very hard, and you're right. It is mostly mothers who, who feel like um, they are to blame, that they've done something wrong. And parents real, real need to realize that sometimes good parents have difficult children, and it's not their fault. Uh, a lot of personality traits are inborn, and people who have certain personality disorders do things like cut off from their families. But it's definitely not the parents' fault. No, when when it comes to adults, an adult has to take the responsibility for their own behavior. Uh, they can't continue to blame mommy, and mommy has to forgive herself for whatever she could have done wrong. Because as a parent and a grandparent, I will tell you, nobody does everything right. Nobody gets a plus in parenting. We all do the best we can. And it's always a struggle to parent children, whether they're young children or adult children. I'm really thrilled to hear you say that because I think, um, you know, when I started out many, many years ago in training, you know, the psychological literature was just filled with things that blamed um, parents, especially mothers. Um, And so I think especially people of, of boomers come, you know, to think of themselves as as being solely um, responsible for what's going on. So I thank you for those words because I think you may have brought a lot of peace and comfort um, to, to people who are self-blaming themselves continually. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and you and I must have grown up at similar times because when I was studying to be a therapist, uh, we were taught that everything was nurture, that it was that people's problems had to do with problems in, during childhood and difficulties in the relationship between the children and the adults. Now, more than ever, therapists uh, have learned that much, much is inborn. And parents do not create problems. They can create some problems, but generally parents don't create problems that merit estrangement and having the child cut them off. So why do you think we get to the point where we're just unable to resolve any conflict? We, we just can't find a way out anymore. Um, that happens when somebody does not have the capacity to forgive. And it happens when somebody's personality 
is such that they reflect on what family members have not done for them, what family members have done to them, and what family members should have done. These people, I call them justice collectors. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great phrase, an injustice collector. I like that. That has a lot of application (laughs) across the board. Well, unfortunately, I coined the term after my father, um, which is where I got my start and my expertise in family estrangement. But people who won't let go of the past of real and imagined injuries and wounds uh, can't forgive and they can't go forward with a new attitude of uh, gratitude and uh, hope for harmony. So and you... Oh, I'm people, sorry. Go ahead. The, and and the, the, really the key to forgiveness is to forgive as a gift to yourself because when you don't forgive, your brain is cluttered with all these toxic thoughts about the person you can't forgive. And it, it, if you can do it as a gift to yourself, you'll feel much better and have a much better chance of healing a relationship. But Mark, how do you do that? I mean, how do you learn? I mean, people can say that, but it's such a jump, a tremendous jump between saying it to myself and actually feeling that. I mean, how do, how do you suggest people help make that bridge? Uh, it takes time. It takes hard work. If somebody is uh, religious or follows or believes in religion, every religion has this attitude. Uh, you can see it in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses and those who have trespassed against us. Whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, all religions encourage forgiveness, not forgetfulness, because you have to protect yourself in the future. But uh, any religion would, will back you up on, <coughs> excuse me, on the need for forgiveness and the benefits for forgiveness. But it does take time. Often it's helpful to have therapy. Um, Whether a person has therapy or relies on their natural resilience, it's not easy. Uh, No one should pretend it's easy. And it does take time, as I said. And we, in in this world, don't like taking time. We We like things to work instantly. And this can't work instantly. You know, I think that's a good point because um, it, it's true. It, you know, we talk about behavior change as therapists, you know, a minimum. You know, you don't expect to see anything for at least six to eight weeks. Um, and that seems like forever to most people uh, in this day, this day and age. Um, so well. it's, I think it's hard. I think it's it's hard, but I think it's a good point that you need to be patient and you need to give things time. And anything worthwhile doing does take time. If you want to go to a gym to get in shape, you can't go just once or even four times. You have to spend at least a few months of regularity. If you want to learn to play a sport, you don't become an expert overnight. It takes months and years of expertise. 
So we all have to live with the fact that these things do take time and that impatience is normal and frustration is normal. It's just hard, I think, uh, for parents just feeling that pain. Um, but it's it's true in anything. Um, it, it just takes time um, to get over. Um, when we return, uh, we're going to be discussing with Mark steps to letting go of resentment. And I'm going to read to you some of the quotes that Mark has in his articles and his books, which I thought were really very, very good and I think really um, speak to the type of pain um, and discomfort that people are experiencing uh, when they're estranged and it's difficult. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Thank you for staying with us. We're still talking about family estrangement because there is just so much to talk about, and this is seems to be a growing problem in this country. We're talking with Mark Seichel, who is a psychotherapist and the author of Healing from Family Rifts. So, Mark, I want to um, actually read one of the quotes from one of your articles um, that says, living with resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other guy to get sick. Can you right. explain that to us? Excuse me. Yes, um, when somebody's in a state of resentment, all they can do is think about what that person that they resent did to them and how poorly they were treated and what they can do to get even with them. But it's always all going on in their brains, uh, in their heads. So they remain in a state of toxicity, and the person they resent goes along perfectly fine, sometimes not even knowing that they're resented. But for the person who's resenting and cluttering their brain with thoughts of um, being victimized and how they can get revenge, that person is in a chronic state of toxicity. So that is, because the other thing you do is you talk about resentment as an addictive state of mind. And, and so is that how resentment is, is like an addiction? Yeah. Um, when, when people get started, um, there's, there's an adrenaline rush uh, when they're really going on in their head or talking to another person about the awful person in their lives who did them wrong. Um, and the adrenaline can get stronger and stronger, and the person can, can get obsessed with it. it. It's really, all addictions are obsessions. And thinking about who you're resentful with and how you can get them um, becomes obsessive and like an addiction, like taking a drug or having a drink. Once you start it, it's difficult to stop. It's so interesting, actually. I never thought about that kind of talking and going over and over and over again, which I hear people do when they're resentful yeah. over the same thing over and over again. I never really thought of that as, as an addiction um, and that people really just get hooked on that. They do, and it's hard to get off of it. And very often the people who are experiencing resentment uh, have this personality problem that makes it difficult for them to let go. But other people who don't have this particular personality quirk can let go. In other words, if an adult child estranges themselves from their parents, this adult child is probably an injustice collector. And they don't want to give up the resentment. However, if the parent feels resentment towards the child's acts, uh, the parent can catch it and not make it the central feature of their life and focus instead on the people who do love them, the people who are with them, the people who are family with them, and the pain of having a family member missing, an empty chair at the holiday table. Did you see people getting um, secondary gain out of out of resentment? 
Well, yeah, because they um, they feel they're right and righteous. Look at what he or she did to me. They are such bad people, and I am such a good person. That's kind of the dialogue that the person has, and it gives them the game of feeling like they're good and the other guy is bad. But life is not black and white like that, and people are not black and white like that. And it's terrible to live in a state of um, where black and white can't exist, where it's all black in relation to someone in your family. So, Mark, we all need hope, a little hope in our lives. We were talking about this on break. It, it really would... Hope is what helps us get through the day. So do you see situations where the conflicts are actually resolved and people are no longer estranged? Absolutely, Merle. Um, I work with a lot of parents whose children have cut them off. And we do work on doing the right things and doing everything they can to resolve it. And sometimes people are humbled in life. Uh, and they um, can get past the resentment. Well, sometimes a death in the family will make the person realize that life is not forever and you've lost somebody you love and there's somebody else that you love that you've lost, but you can do something about it. All kinds of unusual things happen. Uh, the family I'm working with, their son resents them terribly but their daughter-in-law is uh, not against them, not estranged from them. And that's how they, and working on this with them and working with the daughter-in-law, they now have a relationship with their grandchild. So the resentment is not as painful. Because very often the worst part of the resentment for adult parents is they don't get to see their grandchildren. Yeah, that is, that is, I think in a especially difficult and we had talked about this um, in the first half of the show about it's not only difficult for the grandparents but in many situations it also can be extremely difficult for the grandchildren um, Mark can you give us your um, uh, information about your book your website blog you have, you have great articles I've really enjoyed reading them and, and I think they have great points for not only how to find peace and how to handle resentment but also you have a great you have some great articles about holidays and handling special events well thank you Merle um, and people can find these articles simply by googling my name Mark Sickle M-A-R-K S-I-C-H-E-L and my website is www.marksickle.com, one word, M-A-R-K-S-I-C-H-E-L.com. Great. Um, on my website, there's a blog. Uh, I've written a blog for psychology today. Um, it's not difficult to find my material. Okay. And That's- I, I, I always welcome e- emails from people who are struggling with this difficulty. Mark, thank. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I I do work with people locally in Manhattan where I am, but I also have had people from all over the world who have read my book, who do my who do therapy with me by via Skype, via video chat. Wow, Mark, thank uh, thank you so much. Great. 
Mark, thank you so much. We, re we really appreciate your being with us today. And, and thank you for a little hope and, and that encouragement and to us. It really means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Merle. So my takeaway today is I really want to talk about my father for just a few minutes because my father was a very wise man, I think, who I'm deeply loved. And he once told me that one of the hardest things I would ever have to come to terms with was the fact that he and my mother were human beings who made mistakes. He actually told me that. He said, we're human beings who make mistakes. So my takeaway today is for both adult children and for parents. So here's my message for adults children, you know, there are parents who are abusive, and that's a different situation, all right? There are parents who are not abusive, who you're very angry at and you feel estranged from, but instead of trying to resolve the issues and rid yourself of the resentment, you're just spending too much energy being angry. The end result is that this robs you of energy and prevents you from enjoying your own life. For parents... Dr. Coleman suggests admitting to your mistakes. I think it's good advice. However, once you have that frank and open discussion with your children in which you acknowledge your mistakes, after a period of time, it's time to move forward. There is just so much negativity you really need to take. You just tell them you love them, you'll always be there for them, but you're not going to continue um, past a certain point to allow them to be basically some abusive to you. My mother would say life's too short for families to be arguing and estranged from one another, and I think she was right. I didn't always agree with her, but in this one case, I really thought she was right. So this is Dr. Merrill hoping that the one thing you'll do for yourself this week, remember we always talk about one thing you have to do for yourself as a caregiver, is to begin the journey of healing yourself by doing away with resentment and allowing yourself to forgive others and yourself. I really would like to ask you, if you can, all right, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate Caught Between Generations on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to continue sharing helpful information for listeners just like you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.